Hi everybody and welcome to the Overeaters Anonymous 100 Pounder Focus Meeting. Today is the 17th of May 2023 and I am delighted today to welcome Jean McA, who is our speaker. Jean first came to OA in July 2021. She now lives in Scotland, well she's from Scotland as well, but she lives in Scotland near Glasgow. She's originally from Inverness, which is up in the Highlands. So I will let her share her experience, strength and hope today. Take it away, Jean. Rita, thank you so much and thank you to everyone giving service today. I am Jean, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and it's very, very special for me to have the opportunity to give service in this particular meeting because it was this meeting that kept me in OE when I was full of self-will, full of ego, what's all this nonsense? I came into this room in particular and I heard my story and so when I was sitting this morning doing my meditations and my two-way prayer I asked my higher power what should I be bringing here and the guidance I got was honesty and loving kindness so I will hopefully be able to share with you something that maybe will help someone stay in the rooms that maybe was like me um, nearly two years ago where I thought oh this is a lot of nonsense there's nothing in here um, for me so thank goodness I did find the meetings that helped me stay but let, let me give you a little bit of a little bit of um, I guess qualification as well I came in to the rooms in July 21 and was kicking screaming and wrestling with self-will for about a month and then come towards the end of August of that year I then got abstinent I just I got it the the light bulb went on so I started the journey here at 319 pounds which is 145 kilograms for those of you on mainland Europe and 22 stone 11 pounds for us UKers um, for sure not my top weight I will say um, long before coming into OA I know I was at least three or four stone heavier than that, but I had just stopped weighing myself. But at my biggest, I was a UK dress size 30, um, which, uh, yeah. And then today, as of today, I am 209 pounds. So I'm down 110 pounds, 95 kilograms down 50 and 14 stone 13 pounds down seven stone 12 pounds. And if you had told me in July 21, I would ever be saying my weight out loud, I would have been asking, what on earth are you drinking? Because there's no way I'm ever telling anybody what my weight is. I wouldn't even look at it for myself. And that freedom to let go of the numbers, absolutely, I'm working towards a healthy body weight. That's part of my journey. And at the time will come, hopefully, when I'm in maintenance. But for now, I'm working towards it. Um, just for a bit of context, I have a sponsor. I am a sponsor. The nine tools that Rita went through, I use them. Um, and I have daily practices in 10, 11, 12, and I'll kind of take you through the journey of those. But um, before, in a wee minute, I'm going to ask Rita to share some pictures, but the pictures pick up at a point in about 2006. And just briefly before that, what I would say is I was born a food addict. I was born a sugar addict. My earliest memories are of stealing food. My earliest, in fact, I just had a bizarre memory today when I saw some kids out in a sponsored walk. I remember age 10 doing a walk at the school. And when my, my mother and my gran came to see how it was getting on, I was the first one to stop and have a picnic. 
like we, I don't think we'd even done a mile and I was already at the side of the street having my sandwiches and, and whatnot. So food has always played a big part of, um, of my life in a very unhealthy way, mostly, but it's also part of the language, I would say, of love in the north of Scotland. Um, coming from the Highlands and my dad's from the islands, um, not very expressive with affection, but by Jove, they can bake up a storm. And I was just ready to go and hoover all that up. Um, but I do remember when I was in school being taken, the, the, the school nurse had come into the classroom and everybody was getting weighed. And I can still remember we were all lined up. And when I got on the scales, she took a sharp intake of breath and asked me to stand at the side and left me standing there while she weighed the rest of the class and then took me out of the classroom into her office. Now, I don't remember what happened next. I don't really remember the ins and outs of it. And although I was always the biggest kid in the class, I don't remember it, you know, feeling that big at the time, but that was probably the first time I became really, really conscious of it. So for the next, up until 2006, I would say that I went up and down with my weight, but I didn't really, up until the late 90s, I was actually managing-ish the weight. And then I met my then husband and got married. And then we were off to the races because in hindsight, I'm fairly certain he has had a compulsive eating issue as well. So the picture you see here, 2006, 2008, the two shots at the bottom, that picture was taken just before I crashed the car with my then three-year-old in the back seat. And it turned out I had sleep apnea which was because of my weight. And thank goodness nobody was hurt. I got diagnosed, I got the machine, which I use to this day. But that was the first time I would say that my eating put other people in danger. Clearly, I was putting myself in danger with my health. And the kind of imposed picture there was my first journey, if you like, into what I would have classed as recovery, what I can now look back on and see was an ego journey of self-deception <laughs> is the best way to describe it. So 2008, the picture you see of me there with my wee daughter was on paper, picture perfect day, um, 10th anniversary, renewing the vows, luxury holiday in Disney, managed to get into this amazing outfit from a high street store, everything that you would think was, oh, well, that's it, we're there, we've made it. And I can tell you, even now looking at that, probably the most miserable day I can remember. I can recall lying in the bath that night in the hotel room, crying with the door shut. I didn't want anyone to hear that I was crying because I knew deep in my soul that day that even though I had lost at that time 150 pounds to get to that, nothing in my life had changed. As miserable as my life had been before, because I was in a really dysfunctional marriage, I was not, um, I'd made myself very vulnerable because my life had become very unmanageable, but all hidden. I was all about the, I'm going to delude myself and then with others. So literally from the day that was taken, I immediately started regaining the weight. I had gone on this amazing journey and had even been invited to be in a magazine, a slimming magazine in the UK. And this is how the lies are perpetuated. When I got down to the photo shoot a month later, none of my clothes fitted me. I had bounced back up in weight. 
That did not put them off doing the photo shoot. They clipped me from behind. They faked it out. They did a little bit of photoshopping. And that was probably the most dishonest thing I had ever done, was to pose for this magazine knowing that I was already on my way up. And I kept climbing the way. And then 2016, I'm back in Disney. And as you can see from the picture with my lovely friend there, the weight had all come back on me. But by the end of 2016, here we go again, I found another solution. And I was doing a, a well-being project at work that involved me working with this amazing coach who I will say ended up being the person that introduced me into OE um, through a friend of theirs. So they were meant, my higher power, I believe, sent him into my life. But at this point, I was still in the ego. Oh, I've climbed the highest mountain in the UK and oh, this is all great and life's wonderful. And the next shot you can see is at a work event where on paper, I was literally on top of the world. I was being heralded and celebrated. I was absolutely dead inside. I look back at that now and I can recall it was just all about the ego and the appearance when I consider how I must have been feeling then, I was just kind of broken inside. And then away we went again. Not long after that picture was taken, my life literally fell to pieces. Um, the marriage broke down in a very dramatic uh, way. So I was going through divorce. I was at family illness, really serious family illness. My best friend got a brain tumor. My daughter was suffering from mental health issues. I was having to arrange to move house. I was, we lost a, a close relative that, that we were next akin to and we were, and all of that ended up with me in burnout. So when we got to 2019, and, and I, again, Disney plays a big part in this because my daughter loves Disney, but um, I have a love-hate relationship with Disney. I'm in love with it again, but for a long while, it represented a lot of misery for me. But I'm looking at this picture with me and I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I could give all laughs backside a run for his money, the size of mine in that one. So obviously I had gone back up again, um, despite having all these amazing tools, all this incredible support. I was at one point the poster child in my work for well-being. So the shame that was going through that was just brutal. So I then started to tell myself a story of, well, you know, if I wasn't working so long hours, see if I wasn't traveling so much. I had this whole story of if I could just hit the pause button, I reckon I could get a grip. Well, guess what? A pandemic came. Thank you. Pandemic arrived. Pause button could not have been hit any firmer than it was. And three guesses what, what changed absolutely nothing if anything as you can see from this picture of me in 2021 it got worse so I was back there to where I had been in 20, uh, 2006 however I had been looking for something I had been looking for spiritual connection I had been looking for um, I'd been getting coached I'd been doing counseling I'd had therapy I was like some kind of manic forager looking for some kind of answer and thank goodness I was getting I was getting a lot of whispers from my higher power not giving giving it a total deaf ear I remember having a feeling on holiday once up in the islands and I thought oh I wonder if that was the voices of my ancestors speaking no it was the voice of my higher power 
trying to get through to me and eventually of all places at a battleground up outside of Inverness I had the strongest sensation of you need to put down the, the shield and the sword you need to stop battling you need to give up this fight and that very night unplanned the friend who'd helped me up the mountain phoned could tell by my voice there was something going on and he said I know somebody that can help you and that was it I got a phone call from his friend who became my Eskimo and introduced me to OA so fast forward a year and a half I'm showing this picture from July 22 because in all my teenage and 20s, I'd never gone to a music festival because I was petrified of going into a portaloo in case I got stuck. I couldn't stand all day and I'd struggle if I sat on the ground to get back up again. So to be able to spend a weekend at a music festival without any fear of breaking any deck chairs, getting stuck in a portaloo um, or getting stuck on the ground and not being able to get up. Those of us who are 100 pounders, we know what it's like to break chairs, to break toilet seats, to get stuck in things. And that was a really powerful weekend for me to have that physical recovery. And I would say the really strong beginnings of the spiritual and the emotional. And we'll talk about that in, in strength. And that final picture is fairly recent. And, and I share it because I had no discomfort or shame cutting about on a windy beach in Scotland in my bathing suit and a pair of leggings going between sauna and cold water because I was so taken with connecting with nature, with my higher power, with others that I wasn't wrapped up in self. That picture for me is a picture of freedom, freedom from self, which is really the key um, to, to the programme and OA. So thank you, Rita. That's, I appreciate you um, sharing that there. So, so that was my experience. So, so as I came into the rooms in OA, oh my giddy aunt was I resistant. I was having none of it. I was, I would go back to the Eskimo that had introduced me and I'd say, oh, it's all about handmaid's tale, isn't it? I don't think I like the language of this and oh, and I don't think I like the language of that. And what's all the God chat? Mm -mm. No, no. Is there something else you can suggest? I don't think it's for me. And, and he was quite determined, bless him, thank God he was, someone with 23 years of recovery. He said, if you could actually have the humility for once to just sit and listen and imagine there might be something you'll hear that you'll, you'll learn from, do that for the next couple of weeks. And then we'll talk about it if it's still not for you. And it was doing that, it was sitting and listening and hearing my story. Um, and thank goodness for Zoom, because if it weren't for the pandemic, I would not have been able to access meetings. Um, where I live is relatively remote and there isn't an in-person meeting nearby. So for anyone who's joining who's not got local meetings, be assured I was in programme for over a year before I had my first face-to-face -face, and I've only had two of them. And they were in America, would you believe, not even in the UK. So this is incredible. And as I started to hear my story and other stories, I think I got the first stirrings of, uh, of hope. And it was through this meeting, actually, the newcomer greeters. And this is where I found the sponsor who took me through um, the steps. Actually, I didn't find her. My higher power sent her to me. And that I know for sure. So off we went with working the steps. And I'm very diligent. Uh, that's the one thing I will say. I like to do my homework. 
I like to, you know, be, and I was so, so blessed that the sponsor I worked with didn't allow it to become a tick box exercise. Um, there was times I found it so annoying that she would be pushing me to, well, I, you know, you haven't really gone into that in detail. This is not about finishing it quickly. It's a bit, so it was a revelation. Going through the steps was without doubt hard work. Um, but I think what was really powerful for me was seeing myself for the first time and not falling into a spiral of shame. Because I think for those of us that have lived with this disease, it has so much shame attached to it. And what I didn't realise actually until quite recently was shame as part of ego as well because it's it's sort of focusing on self. And I, I couldn't imagine that low self-esteem was actually ego-driven and self-will. I'm like, well, how can that be? So doing the, the step work, and in particular, when we got into step four, it was unbelievably powerful, difficult, uncomfortable, life-changing to have the patterns revealed to me because as clever as I thought I was, and by the way, step one for me, I had no issue with I'm powerless against food. Absolutely. But my life's unmanageable. Oh, hang on a wee minute. Oh, let me just tell you about all the ways my life is manageable. Don't you be telling me my life's unmanageable. And that's because the level of self-delusion that we have when we're in the disease knows no boundaries. And I can fall into self-delusion very quickly to this day. So the difference is now, though, I have this early warning system. When you get the steps revealing your patterns to you, it becomes this kind of not something to beat yourself up about. It's about, OK, that's who I am. That's how I've been. Now, how do I how do I accept that but surrender into a different way of being? How do I surrender what I've only ever known as a way of doing things. Um, and that was really, really difficult because it is a bit like, I've said this before in, in other meetings, it's a bit like being on the dance floor and thinking you're Lady Gaga and you're giving it large and you're, oh, you're dancing. Then you go into the bathroom and it's a really bright fluorescent light and one of those unforgiving mirrors. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I don't look anything like Lady Gaga. I can't even dance. Is this who I am? So it was it was difficult to have that out of self-delusion and into reality. But thanks to the loving kindness of everybody in this program, the other fellows, my amazing sponsor working the steps with me and just continuing to be willing to do what I was hearing from others worked. You move out of that difficult part and into the sense of freedom. And as I worked through the steps, and particularly steps eight and nine, I knew a sense of relief that the to be able to forgive yourself and others gives you a freedom that I never imagined would would be possible. Um, and so that that I think for me, although it was incredibly hard, I felt stronger with each passing week of abstinence, working the steps at the same time, I could feel the strength coming back in. So having had moments of feeling hopeless, um, that increasing understanding of, yeah, but I'm never helpless. You can have the worst day feel as hopeless because this is a really tough disease. And there are times it's like, oh, why, why do I have to have this? Why can't it be normal? 
but you know that there's help there and you're not on your own. And that's the thing. I definitely was one for fixing things on my own. I was not good at asking for help. I was not good at being honest with others about what was going on. I mean, I painted a picture of my life is this and it was not my life at all it was anything but so so that getting those patterns having that work of the steps and getting to that point where you literally feel before I had lost a pound I felt such a weight lifting off me um and then you know it's hard work you get to, you, you finish the step work and you start going into your 10 11 12 and I think what when I look back on it now, as I finished that, as time went on, your ego starts to creep back in again and you start to think, oh yeah, I've got, I've got this here. And what I had not understood, and, and I really want, thank you, I want to emphasize this to anyone listening, this is a progressive disease and I wanted it to be done. I realized that, that now in hindsight, so although I was still working my program, I wasn't introducing anything new. I was kind of going through the same things each time. Now, thankfully, if, if we surrender, our higher power will bring to us what we need. And I think this the turning point for me came at the beginning of this year, because I'd had a couple of months where I had flatlined, I hadn't lost any weight. And if we think about the definition of abstinence, working towards or maintaining, after a couple of months, there should be a warning sign that goes off there. But I, I kind of, I was aware of it, but I didn't do much with it. I wasn't operating a rigorous day-to-day -day process. I had a good structure, but it wasn't, wasn't as rigorous as it could be. Anyway, then a few things happened. I needed to find a new sponsor very suddenly. And I was also going to the OA birthday party. And I am incredibly grateful to my higher power that I had the opportunity to do that and that I had a new sponsor because let me tell you then it was a game changer I um the first workshop I went to was called spiritual bankruptcy didn't want to go to it but I knew I had to and that's when I realized as as I was working the program I had become on nodding terms with my higher power I was giving my higher power a wee wave from across the road in the morning. I mean, I was giving them a wave every morning, sure. And most evenings, you all right, how's it going? As I do with my lovely neighbour. And really what I needed to do is I sat in that room. I recognised, no, you need to sit in your backside with your higher power quietly listening for a lot longer. So that was number one. The second workshop was hopeless, not helpless. And that's when I recognised my emotional recovery was not where it needed to be. So spiritual, I need to do more emotional, I need to get on it. And then the, the trilogy was complete. When on the last day I went to a sober eating workshop and was probably as angry as I've ever been. Because when you hear what you know you need to hear, for us as compulsive overeaters raging, I was livid because I knew as I was sitting in the room all the things that I said, I didn't really, I don't need to weigh and measure. I'm fine. This is all working fine. Um, oh no, my red list's fine. I don't see why I would need to add in. So guess what? As the disease progressed, I had not progressed how I was working my abstinence. So in that room, I knew I need to let go of some more foods and I need to tighten up my process of um, committing my food. 
all those three pieces within literally within a day of leaving the the birthday party I had them in play and then it just became a complete game changer and the new sponsor took me through um and I will say this I asked this this person to be my sponsor because I wanted what they had but I also said to her I was bricking it in case she said yes because I knew I'd have to work much harder and that's so my higher power pushed me to ask her but my self-will was going oh I hope she says no I hope she's too full and it was thankfully she 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 took me on so so what I would say is that the physical the spiritual and the emotional have to work together it's a bit like trying to sit on a stool with only two legs otherwise or just the one leg it's there you can't I can see now that I can't have one without the other. And I had dipped into the emotional with therapy and counseling. I had dipped into spiritual and I'd tried different things at physical, but I'd never had them come together with the 12 steps and more importantly, as a way of living. Um, I've heard people say they come into OA for the vanity and they stay for the sanity. And I couldn't agree with that more. Because the way I can now tackle life is completely different. And, and in fact, I've got a situation. And by the way, I will say this. I don't think I will ever find it easy to surrender. I just want to own that. I recognize it. And every morning when I get up, the first thing I do is an act of surrender. Because if I don't do that, I know that I'm in danger. And I've always seen the disease as being like I'm walking along a cliff's edge. And sometimes if you get a little bit too close to the edge, you're putting yourself in danger. And I'm convinced if I fell over the side of that cliff, I'm not sure I would get back up again. So when I'm working the program and, and obviously life happens and things move about, I'm always keeping an eye on and I'm getting a bit too close to the edge of the cliff. And that's what was happening to me before I went to the birthday party, before all those changes happened, I was drifting I wasn't in relapse, but I was having what I would classify as a prelapse. I was nudging towards, had that continued, I could see where the wheels could have come off on that one. Um, so that the, the need to surrender is, is always, it's just always going to be there. And I think it's that, it's having, what I now understand that I didn't understand is, surrender is about willingness. It's not about, I don't need to do anything. So I have to take responsibility for the effort I'm putting in. I have to, I'm, my higher power is not going to do, do for me what I can do for myself. Whereas I thought surrender was just, I'm going to lie at the side of the road until somebody comes and picks me up. And it's not that at all. Surrender is you're letting go of your idea of how it should be or how others should be. You are going beyond what you know and what you've experienced and what you think is the answer and you are surrendering that you know what there's a power higher than me that knows better and there's a solution here that there's far too many people have have been successful in to ignore it so that has been quite quite interesting for me um, and at times really really difficult because the ego will always pop up so acceptance for me has has manifest over the last month or so um, I was happily skipping along. I've got all my new 
I'm working the program more deeply. I just felt as though this, you know, this is great. And I, I went to get a health assessment because I thought, right, I think I'd quite like to start running now. And I think I might go and do Everest Base Camp next year. Um, but bit of an ego thing, but nonetheless, oh, you know, this new, this, I'm going to enjoy the freedom of this physical recovery. And thank goodness I did the health assessment because I then found out I had high blood pressure, like properly, ridiculously high blood pressure. And the way I was able to be with that whilst working the programme was phenomenal because I didn't have any of the, why is this happening? This isn't how I want it to be. I accepted the fact that, okay, there's something here that I need to know. And thank goodness I've had the recovery I have because if it had been two years ago, that level of blood pressure could easily have knocked me off my feet and worse because of the extra weight I was carrying. So I've had the humility to stay out of self-pity. Um, and I also had the acceptance to say, well, I need to just step out of work for a few weeks. And normally my ego would be going bonkers with that. And, um, and it didn't because I was getting every morning when I sat down and I did my two-way prayer, I was getting all the guidance I needed because if I was guiding myself, it would have been game over because I'm not a reliable, I'm not a reliable source of guidance. I have discovered that over the years. So that willingness um, and the perseverance, I know I wouldn't have that if it wasn't for program. A hundred percent, my ability to live life on life's terms is from working these steps and having this community to come back into um, and knowing that I'll never be done with it. And I've never been so peaceful about that. And I never thought I would. I, I was always looking for an end game, old me. And you saw the fluctuations there when I thought I was at my end game and then discovered, of course, I wasn't. And then I was back to square one again. So, um, so yeah, so I think that that ability to have the hope have the faith, stay out of your ego um, and being really honest. I mean, I was sad. I was scared. Um, I was genuinely worried about it, but I didn't, it, that didn't become something other than a feeling that I recognized, I sat with and I let go of. I didn't spiral into it. And I don't know in any planet that I lived on prior to OA that I could have done that. So um, now how am I doing for time? Am I... Two minutes, brilliant. Um, being willing doesn't always translate into you liking it. So I want to be really honest about this. I don't always like that I have to do this work to stay in recovery. And, and I'm okay with that because as long as I am willing to get up in the morning and do what needs to be done and then have the discipline through the day, and there are some days that willingness comes incredibly quickly and easily and other days not so much and that's okay I think as long as we are in right action and we're persevering there's going to be better days than others but generally and overall the freedom the freedom that this program has given me knowing that I can feel my feelings knowing that I can be neutral around food knowing that I can forgive others and forgive myself and not carry that around with me and just get on with doing the footwork every day. 
I genuinely couldn't have imagined that life would be as it is now. I, I really wouldn't. So all those times that I said, but my life on paper is so good. Well, life on paper is nothing. I mean, you can read about life. What I'm living, I'm living a life that I couldn't have imagined. And that's better than anything that could go down on paper. And that's what I would wish for all of you, whatever stage you're at in your recovery with the disease. And, and if you're in that place that I was in nearly two years ago, where it was like, oh, I don't think this is for me. This is the place for you. This is where, um, no matter how headstrong, how, um, yeah, because I really, I really was, even from childhood, I was very headstrong, absolutely a bit of a pain in the arse when I was younger, truth be told. And and now that ability to not delude myself, not try and delude others, I can't thank the programme enough, or in particular, this meeting. And with that, I think we are done. And Rita, I can pass back to you. Oh, thank you so much, Jane. What a message of depth and weight. A big thank you. And I just wanted to read something that really resonated with me when you shared. It's page 549 in the big book, Freedom from Bond Bondage. It said the AA members who sponsored me told me in the beginning that I would not only find a way to live without having a drink, but that I would find a way to live without wanting to drink. If I would do these simple things, they said, if you want to know how this program works, take the first word of your question, the H is for honesty, and the O is for open-mindedness, and the W is for willingness. These are big book calls, the essentials of recovery. They suggested that I study the AA book and try to take the 12 steps according to the explanation in the book. For it was their opinion that the application of these principles in our daily lives would get us sober and keep us sober. I believe this and I believe it too that it is equally impossible to practice these principles to the best of our ability a day at a time and still drink for I don't think the two things are compatible. <laughs>